0: where are the nine, is what Jesus asked. And so many of the events in the Bible have powerful lessons. I mean the kind of lessons which have the possibility of making our lives richer and better. And when the Lord asked questions, usually there was embedded in the question a very important lesson. Something that is able to make us think, make us better, and as we ought to be. And this act of mercy that we see here in this text has some great lessons for those of us who are Christians today. Let me tell you what I want us to look at. I want us to look, and I know there's a lot of M's in this, but I want us to look at the men and the malady that they were suffering, the kind of, of disease that they had. Second of all, I want us to look at the mercy of our Lord, how he had compassion on these men, and the miracle that he performed that made them clean. And then finally, the motivation behind this Samaritan and what he did in offering thanks to our Lord, and from that, the message that you and I ought to derive. So for the next few minutes, let's take Luke 17 and let's explore As we read through this section, we're going to sort of take it a couple of verses at a time and we're going to look at how this lesson unfolds. Let's go back to verses 11 and 12. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. You know, as you read the Bible, sometimes the locations are important. They tell us a lot about where the Lord is traveling. They tell us a lot about the people who dwelt there. And so as we're talking about the men here, it says he was in the middle of Galilee and Samaria. Galilee was a province. Samaria was a province. Galilee was around the Sea of Galilee, going all the way to places like Nazareth. Cana, not just around the sea, but even in the area, the general location. But that area in between the, what was the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom became known as Samaria because of the people who lived there. And they were, for most part, a half-breed of people. They were detested by the Jews. They just couldn't speak peaceably to them at all. And in fact, if you'll remember John 4, when Jesus met the woman at the well, that Samaritan woman, she was astounded that Jesus would speak to her being a woman and being a Samaritan. The text tells us that Jesus went into a certain village. Being the fact that it was on the border between Samaria and Galilee, it was probably one of those villages that maybe had people from both types of race, you know, the Samaritans and the Jewish people. And it was necessary at times that Jesus would go through here. In fact, even today, if you're in the northern part of Israel and you're going from around the Sea of Galilee to Jerusalem, there's really three main routes that one could take. One route is to go along the sea, to go along that coastal route. The other is to go along the Jordan River Valley. But then there's another one that goes to the central part, which would have gone through what was Samaria then and is mostly the Palestinian territory today. And just like a Jew today would be a little bit concerned going through a Palestinian territory, there was a little concern in Jesus' day for them to travel through Samaria. And John 4, verse 4, John simply says, but he needed to go through Samaria. That's the fastest route. If you need to get there quickly, you're going to go the, the straight line, and he needed to go through there. In Luke chapter 9, he's going to make a journey to Jerusalem and evidently particularly choose to go through Samaria. It says, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. You see, there was a need to try to make some preparations. These were not jewish people they're not brothers and we know that if we read the rest of luke chapter 9 that when they get there the samaritan people are not willing to receive jesus and james and john wanted to call down fire out of heaven and consume them but let's return to the malady that these men suffered they were sick sick with the disease And when you think about the disease, you think about sickness being a great equalizer. It doesn't matter if you are a king or if you are the poorest man on the planet. All men get sick. And when they get sick, there's no sense in which you can say, okay, the rich man, he doesn't get sick. We have several doctors in our congregation, and I'm sure every one of them have seen people who were blessed with great worldly possessions, they were rich, maybe people of importance, people of power, and yet they see people who are so poor they they have difficulty paying the bills, and yet both of them get sick. The truth is that when you look at this leprosy, it was not a respecter of persons. In fact, leprosy itself was a very dreaded disease It was painful in the sense that it would cause your skin, your flesh, to literally rot off your bones. There would be great uh, kinds of of, uh, sores that would develop. and It was a very painful disease. But not only that, it had a social stigma to it that made it even worse. Let me just explore three passages of Scripture that I think can give us a little perspective on it. The first one is found in the book of Leviticus, chapter 13. And in fact, if you want to read all about leprosy and how that you discerned it and how it was treated and how that they carried about it, you can read Leviticus 13. But I want to particularly draw attention to verses 45 and 46. Now the leper on whom is the sore, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare. He shall cover his mustache and cry unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean. All the days, the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, for just a moment, look at what had to take place. Most men would wear some sort of a headdress. You've seen the Middle Eastern men. They will have uh, some sort of a cloth that's over their head. You can't do that. He's got to be viewed from afar. You've got to recognize that this man is an unclean man. He's got to cover his mustache. He's got to cover his face. He's got a disease. You don't want it to be a communicable disease. You don't want it to be transferred to someone else. And when somebody draws near, you have to say, unclean, unclean. You have to say, I'm, I'm unclean. You don't. Come near me. But if you look at the last part of verse 46, he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. You can't hug your children. You can't hug your spouse. You can't live in the house with them. You've got to be quarantined. You've got to be put outside the city. Now you imagine Not only the the pain that went with this disease, but imagine being socially left alone. You'd be depressed, you'd be discouraged, you'd almost want to give up hope. When I go to Numbers chapter 12, the first part of Numbers 12 tells us about Moses, how great he is. The Bible tells us that he was the most humble man on the planet. Moses married an Ethiopian woman and Aaron and Miriam began to say, you shouldn't have done this. They began to complain against him. And when you get to verse 9, the anger of the Lord was aroused against them and he departed. And when the cloud departed above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam and when he saw, there she was, a leper. And Aaron said to Moses, Oh my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us. In which we have done foolishly and we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead. Whose flesh is half consumed. Do you see the picture that Aaron is saying? He looks at his sister and he realizes she's got leprosy now. She's like one that's dead. And so Moses prayed to God. You have to realize the significance of this disease. When you go to 2 Chronicles chapter 26, there's the discussion of the life of Uzziah. He was a good king. He was a man who did a lot of things that God wanted him to do. And the text says that his life was pleasing to God. But it also tells us that in the period of time, his heart became lifted up. That is, he began to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. In fact, he thought of himself so highly that he decided he would take it upon himself to go into the temple and he would there offer incense to God. And as he walked in the temple, the priests began to say, No, don't do this. You shouldn't be in here. Get out. But his arrogance overtook him. And he began to offer the incense on that sacrifice, on that censer. And the text tells us, Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest and the house of the Lord beside the altar. Now if you drop down with me to verse 21 or last part of verse 20, indeed he hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper. For he was cut off from the house of the Lord. What that tells you is it did not matter if you was the king. If you had leprosy, you were quarantined. Imagine these ten men outside the walls and here comes Jesus. But you see, the truth is, is that you and I are afflicted with an incurable disease. Sometimes we don't want to think like that, but the truth is we are. And we're all in need of the Lord's help. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Haggai chapter 2 verses. 13 and 14, he's talking about various things that make things unclean. And he said to him in verse 14, he answered and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands. What they offer there is unclean. As Isaiah said, Woe to me, Lord, I am an unclean man, and amidst a people of unclean lips. In Luke chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Romans 3, 9 and 10, and verse 23, All say that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now as I look at the men and the malady they were suffering, normally Jews and Samaritans wouldn't have any association, but you see, they've all been put outside the city. And so these ten men are there now, and they're crying out to the Lord, have mercy on us, which brings me to the second part. Let's look at verse 13 now in this context. (laughs) And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Boy, you think about that plea, have mercy on me. When do you ask for mercy? Oh, I I need your help. Well, I'll try to help you if I can. You don't necessarily have to have it, but you want it. But when you beg and you plead for mercy, you are in a situation where you don't feel like you have anything else left to do. Consider the rich man as he lifted his eyes in torment. Luke 16, verse 24. He cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Just please be merciful to me. I don't have anything else I can ask for. These men are begging. They're pleading with Jesus at this time. You have to recognize that no man had the ability to say, "Here, put this scythe on, and it'll make you better." These are men for whom there is no cure. I think about Second King's Five. Naaman is a captain in the Syrian army, very important man to the king of Syria. And the word comes, oh, but if my master could go back to Israel, there is a prophet there who could help him. And so the king prepares a great bounty to send with Naaman, his great commander. And he wants him to be healed. And so he arrives at the king of Israel's palace. And as it happened, the king of Israel read the letter. He tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive That this man sends a man to me to heal him of leprosy? In fact, he says, what he must be doing is trying to seek a quarrel with me. I can't heal this man of leprosy. But he's got to find that prophet. There's no cure for sin either. Not as far as man is concerned. What can I give for the sin of my soul? As I began to explore John 6, verses 68 and 69, Jesus had been talking about being the water of life. And there were people who began to start wandering off because he had told them, You've only come for the loaves and the fishes. You didn't really come because you wanted to hear the message of truth. And it says, From that time many of his disciples walked with him, what went back and walked with him no more. And Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? And Simon Peter answered him. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's nobody else to whom we can go, Lord. Just like Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way. To get forgiveness of sin, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jeremiah ten twenty three. It's not in man that walks to direct his own steps. First Peter chapter one verses eighteen and nineteen. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of a Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It's only because of the blood of Christ that you and I can have. Our sins forgiven. And just like those men, and you look at the mercy that they're begging for, you and I have to beg for mercy because we can't heal ourselves. But Jesus told them what they needed to do in order to obtain mercy. He gave them some instructions. He told them to go and to show themselves to the priest. When I go to Leviticus, excuse me, Luke chapter 5, verse 14, there's another account of that. And there's a man there, he says, Go show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them just as Moses commanded. You see, what Jesus told him to do was what the law said. You obey what the law says. Obey what the law says. You go back to Leviticus chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. He says, when a man has this spot on his skin and the swelling, the scab, the bright spot, it becomes skin of his body like a leper sore, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priest. You see, that's the way you do it. Jesus told him to do what Moses had taught. You and I have to realize we also have to have obedience. Oh, I can't save myself. I'm not the one who's able to provide the... Salve, or if you want to use like our song says, the balm of Gilead. You see, we have to come to Jesus. But when I read, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, not by works of righteousness as we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit with whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You and I come to Jesus. We have to come on the terms which He has set. Jesus respected the law and He respected obedience in them. that leads me to the last part, which I think is where the Lord really draws focus and attention Let's look at verses 15 and 16. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God. And he fell down on his face at his feet and gave him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. After being cleansed, one of them, one of them who was a Samaritan, Return to give thanks. Now, that implies, and as we will read later, that the others must have been Jews. And when I think about that, it reminds me of what the Lord just spoke a few chapters earlier in Luke chapter 10. Do you remember there was a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who beat him and stripped him and left him half dead? Do you remember that the priest came and passed by on the other side do you remember that a Levite came and he also passed by the other side and do you remember verse 33 but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was And when he saw him he had compassion and so he went to him bandaged up his wounds pouring oil and wine in them and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an end took care of him. The next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think proved neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Don't you think it's significant that it was a Samaritan who showed mercy? And Luke 10 And it is a Samaritan who shows thanks for mercy in Luke chapter 17. Okay, here's a point. Religious people often forget their own brokenness and fail to show compassion. You know, here comes a man who's just been healed and he recognizes what's been done for him. But here we are and we sometimes look at ourselves and And we think we have no sin. We look at ourselves as if there's no flaws in any of us. And there's no needs that we have. And I want you to listen to Luke chapter 7, verses 29 and 30. When all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God themselves not having been baptized by him. You see, the people who were the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the people who were the flagrant sinners, they recognized how broken they were. They recognized their need and they were appreciative of it. But those people who were the religious elites, oh, they didn't think they had anything for which they needed to be forgiven. Well, that brings me, let's look at now at this last section in verses 17 through 19. But Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But well, where are the nine? Were there not found uh, who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. The Lord's question, where are the nine? They're going on their merry way. Well, why didn't they give thanks? Why didn't they show appreciation? Occasionally, you and I need to be reminded of how much we have been blessed and how much for which you and I have to give thanks. Perhaps one of the best passages of Scripture on that is Romans 5, 6 through 8. For when we were without strength, In due season, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man would someone even dare to die. But God commends His own love toward us in that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve it. It was His mercy. And if you go to Luke 7, and most of these passages in Luke have such great application. He turned to the woman and said, to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house, but you gave me no water from my feet. She's washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I, the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with a fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, "Your sins are forgiven." Oh Simon, in this passage, thought, "I don't have that much for which I need to give thanks." And Jesus points to this woman and said, "Look at her appreciation, which causes me to ask the question, What does this mean to us? Do we appreciate our salvation? And do we show that appreciation in the prayers that we pray and as we thank God for it? Do we show appreciation by telling others how God has been good to us? You know, if someone comes along, they do you a real good service, a real good deed. You want to tell others, oh man, they were so nice. Look what they did for me. Look how they helped me. We ought to speak a good word for our Lord. Are we of the nine? Or are we of the one? You know, tonight you can come to Jesus and be thankful for the forgiveness that He has provided. He's able to make you clean. I want to use one last passage from Luke. I've used chapter 17, chapter 10, chapter 7, chapter 5. This is a real good one. And it happens he was in a certain city that behold a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus. And he fell on his face and he implored him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Put out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy left him. You see, the truth is, you and I can come and we can say, Lord, I see myself, I know who I am, I know what I am, and I need to be cleansed from my sins. And the Lord will say, I'm willing to be baptized for the remission of your sins. The baptistry behind me is prepared. There's garments that are prepared. What we're waiting on is for you to come to the Lord and say, I want to be cleansed. Some of us may have relapsed. And we may need to come back to the Lord and say, Lord, will you forgive me? You're not baptized again, but you can pray to the Lord. And the blood that he shed for you will continually cleanse you from your sin. If you need to respond, would you come while together we stand and sing?